You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Tonight we're going to dive back into our study of the Gospel of Luke. been studying that for well over a year, maybe going into a year and a half. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 15 this evening. You're, you're more than welcome to open your Bibles, turn there, put your hand there. Let's pray before I dive into the Scriptures Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight, God. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity is to come and to worship you in community with other believers and other people who love you. Lord, I know that there are many here who love you, and I know, God, that there are probably some here this evening who don't know you, checking it out for the first time maybe, kind of wondering, is there a God? What's up with this idea of the church? Who's this, uh, who's this Jesus character we talk about? And God, tonight I just pray that you would paint a picture of how much you love every one of us. God, I pray that you would just paint this picture of you just being the great master shepherd over our souls, the one that would go to great lengths, to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth, so far that you would give your life so that we might have true life. God, I pray that you would uh, just do that for us, that you would paint that canvas. I pray for our hearts, that our hearts would be open to you. I pray that your spirit would open minds this evening, that you would do transforming work in people's hearts and minds, and then deep within our souls as well. Help us to become people who love the things that you love, and help us to become people whose hearts are open to loving the people that you love, God. God, I pray that, I trust that you'll do it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in three verses tonight. And so some of you are going to be asking like, oh, really three verses? You've got five and a half pages of manuscript with that? Yeah, good luck for all of us, right? Because usually when I preach like 14 verses, I've got like four pages. So this is going to be quite the ride for us, quite the journey. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He says this, says, or what woman having uh, 10 silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and then seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And kind of like the big idea, that, or maybe the big thing that I kind of land on in this, the big thought is this, that like God loves seeing the lost get found. God loves it when lost people who have been walking far from him have been living as rebellious enemies of him. God loves it when us sinful, kind of scumbaggy kinds of people when we get found and begin to follow him, he loves this. This is, this is close to the heartbeat of God. Our God is a redeeming God loves seeing the lost get found. What does it mean? What does it mean? I want you to think about this. What does it mean to be lost and then to be found? What does it really mean? I mean, that's the question that I've been struggling with all week long as I struggled to study this text for this message. I I literally wrestled, much like maybe mountain men wrestling a bear, I like just wrestled with this question of what it really means to see the lost get found. I think that the true sense of being lost and found is something something that we can too easily kind of speed past. And I think in doing so, like my fear is that when we just kind of too quickly or too easily speed past the meaning of this topic, then what we can do is we can completely miss the heart of God in his pursuit of finding lost people. And so, so in my study, um, I spent considerable time thinking and just praying 
of different illustrations and stories and asking the Lord to like reveal things to my heart as I studied and thought my way through this passage that maybe he would use to like bring like a, just a deeper sense of the meaning of God's heart for the lost getting found. So I thought of like losing personal belongings. Anybody ever lose your keys for your car? Lose your keys to your house? Lose your keys for your locker? <clears throat> or lose a <clears throat> kind of a personal item that kind of causes you to get super frustrated. Like when I lose my keys, it's always like early in the morning when I got to get out the door, get the kids to school, get to an appointment, whatever it may be, and I can't find my keys. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting angry. I'm getting afraid because I'm not sure that I'm going to make it on time. And then suddenly when I find those keys, whew, like everything like kind of like releases. Man, thank God I found those keys right there, right? And I get to hop in my truck and take off. But the problem with even this is I kind of started here with this in my mind as I continue to kind of pray for it and ask God, like continue to talk to me on this. It was almost like God kind of just revealed to me like, like this falls terribly short of the biblical meaning of what it means to be lost and found. So I thought about getting lost in the woods. I love to hunt. Some of you guys know that. Uh, bow hunter. Haven't been bow hunting in like three years for various odds and ends reasons, uh, not to mention a couple physical issues and the fact that I need doctors and all sorts of psychologists and counselors. And so, <laughs> so I have not been able to get out and go bow hunting. But there have been a number of times when out shooting uh, deer with my bow when late at night just before the sun goes down I might shoot a deer and then kind of get maybe a bad shot and that deer takes off and I got to track that deer in the dark and so I'm hunting like on my aunt and uncle's property there's about 400 acres of wooded land up and over and down hills and and there's ponds and there's streams and all sorts of things and in the dark I'm out there all by myself and and I, and I just kind of remember this time out in the middle of the woods tracking this deer hadn't found it yet suddenly stopped like with this horrific feeling kind of welling up from deep inside like holy crap I'm lost I have no flipping clue where I'm at you ever have one of those moments where you get lost and you feel that sudden kind of heart-wrenching, kind of gut-wrenching moment where you're like, oh, shoot, what's going to happen next? So I've had those moments in my life, but I kind of think that like this illustration kind of falls terribly short as well. And here's the point. As I continue to work my way through these stories, it's like the Lord like was taking me on a journey of stories whereby he could like continue to take me deeper into the heart of what a God's redeeming plan is. And I think his joy in reaching lost people because I think these are some of the places that we have a tendency to kind of uh, 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 live in in terms of this topic of lost and found. I think what he wanted to show me was, hey, I want to take you deeper. I want to a different picture for you. This is not just about inanimate objects. This is not just about getting lost in the dark and being afraid out there because the reality for me, I don't know about the rest of you, but I could survive one night in the dark woods. Like I could survive one night, pretty sure of it. I mean, unless a mountain lion comes and gets me. And anyways, I got a big stinking bowie knife in my bow anyway. So, you know, so, I mean, I can build a shelter. I can probably build a fire on my own. I can make it overnight. So, I mean, really the fear that I feel there still doesn't really even come anywhere close to the biblical sense of what it means to be lost and found. So, I'm thinking about that. And then I, I remembered uh, a few years back, I think, it was, uh, I think it was like February of 2013, super bitter cold here. And my wife and I, Christy and I, I get to go to sunny San Diego, California, suffer for Jesus for five days or six days 
to go through what's called the church planner's assessment, where they basically, they do, they sit you down in front of like psychologists and doctors and personality assessments, got to make sure that I'm not like some psycho dude trying to lead a church, right, to check your theology and all this stuff. So we're going to this church planner's assessment. I remember the kind of this one night, like Christy and I decided, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to grab the rental car. We're going to go kind of on an expedition, like downtown, quaint little area, San Diego, really cool, like uh, home brewery places you can go to and like street attractions you can check out, like, like chicks with way too much hair over their bodies, like seen in Kumbaya because they're like hippies and stuff, like really weird. Like we're going to go down there. We're going to check that out. And, and so like as we're driving, I kind of remember like this sense like, oh, holy smokes, like San Diego, one of the largest cities in America, one of the most dangerous places you can go. And, and we're going here. Like we could get lost. This is flat out dangerous. I remember that feeling for a minute. You ever had that moment where you're in a large city driving around wondering, crap, where am I? Like, did I just take a wrong turn, head in the wrong name? Am I going to get shot, right? So, so I remember that feeling, but then like, so that falls short too, doesn't it? I mean, somebody's got to be already tracking there with me already. We've got smartphones, GPSs, maps, gas stations. Stop there, ask. Hope you don't get shot. I don't know. So that kind of falls terribly short too. It still kind of paints a little bit of the picture of being lost and found. But as I'm thinking about this, I did land on this other story. Land on this story, a story of a lost little girl that we knew. Our daughter Charity has this friend named Gracie who lived just down the street from us a few years ago. And Gracie and Charity would play like every single day. One day after a long day of work, like as soon as our dinner was finished and like I'm kicked back, kind of relaxing and chilling on my couch, flipping through TV channels and drinking a nice cold beverage. For some of you, that's a Pepsi and for some of you, that's something else. (laughs) So I'm drinking a nice cold beverage, flipping through channels on the TV. Charity and her friend Grace are now playing in the basement like they usually do and I'm just relaxing. Like day is over, I'm done. Don't bother me, leave me alone, I'm resting, right? And suddenly like everything I thought was good was not good anymore because Charity, whom I thought was in the basement, came busting through the front door in this absolute fit of drama. Now if you know Charity uh, a few years ago, I mean you know her now, but if you know her a few years ago when she was six, she was like still more dramatic then. Like she's got a little bit of tempered drama going on now, but like six years old, it was totally like in your face and all over the place, okay? So six-year-old Charity like busts through the door and she's like freaking out like dad dad you got to come find me and I'm like what the heck is wrong with you you're interrupting me leave me alone chill go play and she's like no and what I realized is like all her dramaticness that was going on in that moment was because she believed that her friend Gracie was missing she believed that Gracie was gone and she was freaking out and so you know me I'll just confess I was being a jerk and I'm like charity like, I'm sure Gracie's fine. Like, she's probably downstairs in the basement. Like, go downstairs, check in the basement. Leave me alone. I'm, like, trying to watch, like, Pawn Stars or something like that. <laughs> so Charity is really upset. She's yelling at me. Okay, like, Charity can be rebellious sometimes, yes. Um, she, she's bold in your face, much like me, right? So she can be kind of obnoxious. She's mad. Like, she is livid. Like, face is red. And so she, like, stomps. Like she's stomping down through the living room, downstairs, comes running back up, and she's like, she's not down there. You gotta believe me, like she's missing. And I'm like, I'm like, whatever, Charity. Like maybe she's outside, maybe she went back home. And she's like, Dad, look out the window. And so I went out, kind of looked out the window, kind of like, all right, fine, maybe leave me alone. I kind of look out the window. And to my absolute horror, there was Gracie's mom in an absolute fit of emotional freak freak outness, running from door to door, crying because her daughter was missing. Imagine how I felt, right? 
So I went running out that door and like Gracie's mom was on the other side of the street working her way down this way. In my memory, I start working my way down this side of the street and I'm running from house to house asking the same thing. And, and basically, we kind of met back in front of my house, if I remember right. And, and she's, I mean, she's just freaking out. I mean, in her face, I can't even explain the amount of emotion, the, the fear and the anger and the frustration all in one, just wondering like, what has happened to my baby six-year-old daughter who's now gone missing? We know the kind of world we live in. And I can just imagine kind of the, the images that were just going through her mind in those moments. It was written all across her face. She was flipping out. I remember grabbing my phone, dialing 911, getting the police on the phone and saying, hey, I'm with the mom. Like, her daughter's missing. I'm going to hand the phone over. I hand the phone over to her. And I'm just thinking, like, what do I do? And at this point, like, there's a ton of people coming out of their houses all around our neighborhood, like, checking trash cans, checking the backs of cars, checking the front seats of cars, checking their basements, checking their garages, checking their backyards, everything, looking for little Gracie because she was missing. And so at that point, I thought, you know what, what I should probably do is I should probably go down and around the block and start spreading our search process around the blocks and just spread this out. Hopefully, we can find this little girl before it all goes bad, right? And so I'm running down the street. I mean, the police showed up really fast. I mean, the funny thing is, is you know, when you, when you don't want them there, they usually show up faster, don't they? Um, but it's kind of funny. Like, they showed up right, like right away. We wanted them there. It was, it was kind of one of those one times where you're like, whoa, totally miraculous. They showed up fast, like within five seconds. So the cops show up, and they kind of come down the street. They're getting out of their car. They're talking to Gracie's mom. And I'm, I'm coming up around this corner <coughs> and start knocking on houses around the edge of the block. And as I came past this one house, I looked down this driveway, and there was Gracie in the driveway playing with some of her friends. Now, you know what I did? I went running down that driveway. I grabbed her up by her hair. No, I grabbed her up. I picked her up, okay? I, like, picked her up. I'm, like, holding her in my chest, and I'm talking to her. I'm like, don't you ever do that again. Like, you know the rules. Don't ever run off. Don't you ever go around the corner. Your mom is freaked out. Don't you know? Don't you know the entire neighborhood is looking for you? Don't you know that your mom is freaked out about you right now? Don't you even know, like, the cops are down the street looking for you? And she's just, like, totally oblivious, right? Huh? I was lost. What? I'm just like giving her kind of the, the what for, coming back around the block, and we're coming down the street. And I, I just remember like just Gracie's mom is half a block away from me, and I've got Gracie, and, and her mom sees us, and she takes off in like a dead sprint. I mean, total like love story movie type of scene, but better because I lived it, right? I mean, I just, I just, I just cannot really um, paint the picture for you enough of what this moment was like as she comes, mama comes running over to me and grabs Gracie out of my arms and she's hugging her and she's weeping and crying and her whole body is shaking because of the release of the emotion. There's still anger like, what were you doing to, I love you so much, all in like one shot, right? All in one shot, this is taking place and she just kind of begins to give Gracie kind of the same talk that I gave her. I think this story, as I begin to think through this passage, seemed to bring home a little bit more. There's a little bit more of the meaning of the lost getting found in regards to like God's heart as a father who is seeking to find the lost. As I thought through this, I thought one more story, two I thought of some of my own story. I asked the Lord just to really open my heart and my mind and like remind me, like remind me of some of the seasons of my own life when I was lost. Like I, I remembered like the season kind of a few years before Jesus found me. I remember my life, I remember the utter hopelessness, the despair and the failure that I felt about my own life. 
I remember, I remember like the hopeless sense of my sin and my brokenness before Jesus found me. The season when I was living as a married dude with two kids, a pregnant wife and a pregnant girlfriend. I remember the sense of like complete and utter hopelessness of my life, my lost state of living in terms of the dead ends of life that I was basically trying to medicate through the use of drugs and drunkenness and women. I remember the day that I was hit by that SUV as I was riding my motorcycle, half stoned, half drunk. I remember God speaking to me in those moments about the destruction of my sinfulness. I remember the church that my dad was a part of at that time, reaching out to me, paying a ton of our bills, helping me to get back on my feet again, putting gas in my truck, putting groceries in our house. I remembered all those things happening from this church as I recovered from this accident. And I remember as I recovered, I began to go and be a part of that church. And kind of like the sitting in the back, like you, you see me like like gauges right big fat beard kind of a chubby guy who doesn't work out enough but loves to ride his motorcycle got tats all over the place I'm, the, I'm kind of a rough dude right I hadn't stepped foot in a church hardly since I was a little kid and if I did step foot in the church as a little kid it was just simply for Christmas or Easter or something like that because Christians were not people that I hung out with right that's not who I grew up I'm not going there and so here I am I find myself in this church like trying to check out this group of Jesus people that had really reached out really well to me and I'm feeling totally out of place right just in the back, just like, feel weird, strange being here. And then one day, here's what happens. Like this dude comes walking up to me, and he's like, hey, man, hey, man, we got a, we got a men's breakfast coming up here on a Saturday. We'd really like you to come and, like, share your story. And I'm like, really? Like, what the heck is a men's breakfast? I have no clue what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, men's, oh, that's like where we buy the food, and then we invite a few guys to come, and we serve the breakfast. We usually have somebody come and share their story, and we just think you sharing your story would be pretty awesome. And I'm, I'm like, are you crazy? Like, you know my life? You want me to talk to people about this? Are you kidding me? Like, like you got the wrong guy. Hello? You got the wrong guy. And this dude's like, no, man, I'm like, I want you to come, I want you to share, I want you to talk. And I was like, all right, man, like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do the best I can. And so I'm like, I'm envisioning, like, okay, a small room, a couple of dudes, some breakfast. You know, green eggs and ham, bacon, all that good stuff. I'm sure I'll eat some good food. And, and uh, you know, it, no, it shouldn't be too big of a deal. I get there, and I, I'm, I'm kind of freaking out already, right? Because I've never done this, never been to a men's breakfast. I'm not sure what it's going to be like. I show up, and this room's got like two, 300 dudes in it. Yeah, how about that? So, like, I want to turn tail and run, like, right back out the door. I'm going to go back and smoke me a joint because this is overwhelming, right? Like, that's, that's kind of where I want to go. And, uh, and so, uh, well, I'm glad I didn't say half this stuff at the church this morning. They would have just booted me out of there, wouldn't they? Preached this message this morning somewhere else, a much more conservative little Baptist church out on the Western Panhandle where cowboys and Indians still run around. Anyways, so <laughs> I should probably do this more often. This is kind of a riot. <laughs> oh Jesus, please make yourself famous, not me. <laughs> so, dude, that's around the event, man. Like he comes up to me, he's like, "All right, hand check. Put your hand out. I want to see how nervous you are." Like I put my hand out, I'm just like like flopping fish on the floor, you know, like just super scared. My nerves are shot. I'm freaking out. And he's like, man, I want to share this other story with you. I want to share this story with you before you get up there. And I'm like, wow, cool. He's like, come, come here. Come sit down with me. You know, I sit down with him. The story that he shares with me just basically rocks my world before I get up and speak to share mine. Share with me that he was one of the uh, music leaders in that church. He'd been leading the music team for a number of years. And he shared with me that a few years prior to that, he had this dude that was part of his music team, was a drummer. He said one day his drummer kind of came in one day, total, absolute emotional wreck, like three years prior to this. 
This drummer comes in a total emotional wreck. Like the dude could not hardly keep a beat. Apparently this guy was a super good drummer and just could not, could not get it together. And so he and this guy, they kind of pull off to the side and have a talk together like, man, what's going on? And this guy shares this story with him about, about his son and how his son's life had just gone completely off the rails, like all the way kind of on tilt, like destructiveness. And he was worried for his son. He was fearful for his son's life. And he was having a hard time focusing and basically this dude told me that what he was going to do from that point forward and what he did with this friend of his, this drumming drummer buddy of his, is they got together every Sunday before their music team practice and they prayed for this dude's son. And they prayed that God would save this guy. They prayed that God would do something in this guy's life. The hook in this story is that drummer was my dad. How about that? Three years this guy that invited me to speak at this event had been praying for my salvation <laughs> with my dad. And then I'm speaking at this event. What a powerful moment. What a powerful moment. I think that all these stories, as God kind of revealed these things to me, like collide together, kind of like in a mashup of stories, to paint this grand picture of the Father's heart for lost people getting found. God's heart for finding lost people is far bigger than any of us, I think, this side of heaven will ever completely understand. But I don't want us to rush past this tonight just because we've heard this story a thousand times or because it's a quaint little story about some crazy lady in a little house with a floor covered in straw looking for coins. I want us to really see the picture of God's heart for lost people. It's written in the mission statement for our church that we want to be a church that runs a rescue mission within a yard of hell. Like there's a few people who want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue mission within the yard of hell. I believe that is so close to the heart of God. That's who I want us to be. That's, I believe that's who God wants us to be. So I don't want us to miss this as we study this text tonight. God's heart for finding lost people is far bigger than you and I could ever completely imagine. But like, here's a few things I do know this. I do know that you and I, if you miss everything else, I want you to get this. Like you and I are not like a set of keys for a pickup truck. We are not inanimate objects. We are people who have been created in the image of God. Like he placed his image in each and every one of us so that the rest of the world would look upon us and see, and see like they're looking into the eyes of a loving father from heaven who loves them dearly. And the problem is that this sin and brokenness has entered the world. And so it's like a mirror that has been cracked and broken. And the reality is that God's trying to make that mirror right again. He's reconciling and restoring and making things right again. Man, broken marriages, broken lives, broken families, and broken hearts, broken everything because of sin. But Jesus comes to restore and to reconcile and to make everything good because you and I are not inanimate objects. We are not worthless. We are not useless. We're not like little coins tossed in the corner. God sent his son after every one of us so that we could be saved. Why? Because he loves seeing the lost get found. God's heart for us is like Gracie's mom who spent herself running from house to house, knocking on the doors in a fit of anguish looking for her daughter. That's like God's heart, employing the help of others in the process even though we're sitting there completely oblivious to our need for him. 
God's heart for finding lost people is like that dude in my dad's church, along with my dad and the rest of that church, that basically mounted this expedition to pray for, to reach out to, and to serve someone who was so lost and broken in the midst of their sin, even though I was completely oblivious and and had no clue how bad I was wrecking my life and how much I needed Jesus and that he really was the answer. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Thank God for these people who reached out and led me to Jesus. And look back at that passage again, Luke 15, 8 through 10. Let me read it again. As I read it again, as you read through with me, like hear it with fresh ears. See it with fresh eyes. Like hear it with fresh hearts. Like here's the deal. Like, before you even look back, I want you to literally look at me. Like think of this. Like you guys know me, right? Most of you know me, unless you're new here. And if you're new here, here's the download. Like I don't usually preach like this. I don't usually get up and like tell 10 stories to start with, right? All of you know me. I'm like point by point, organized, verse by verse, three verses. What are you going to do? So I'm telling stories. Right? I'm doing this because I believe that God wants to paint a different picture for us right? And it's not just about head knowledge. Like, you and I can study all the books we want to study, and if it's just all about your head knowledge and the things that you think you know, it's useless. Like, knowledge is useless if it's devoid and, dis- and, and divorced from the desires of the heart being changed and the activity of your life being radically transformed. God is about change in our lives. That's what salvation is about. That's what this story, this lost coin is so good. So it's not just head knowledge. I want your hearts to be moved today. And not by pure emotionalism, because I think emotionalism is a bunch of crap, right? Not just emotionalism, but we should be moved. Our desires should be challenged as we listen. So listen, verse 8. What woman? What woman having ten coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right? Isn't that good? And in these three short verses, what Jesus is doing is painting this picture of the Father's heart for finding lost people. Here's the other problem. Like, if we just kind of stop here, just try to move through these verses here, I think we will fail to see a more complete picture. So I think, I think, still think there's more that God wants to show us about his heart for, for lost people, his joy, his love over lost people getting found. To get a better picture of these three short verses, I think it's super important for us to, like, step back from the text. Like, you can have, like, you can have, like, minuscule view of this, like, be super close to the text, or at least step back from these three verses and look at chapter 15. Like, look at chapter 15 and the stories in it. Luke 15, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes. Go figure, all right? Those guys. They should have been the heroes. They should have been the good guys. Like, if anybody likes those old classic westerns where the good guys wear white and the bad guys wear black, the Pharisees and the scribes were the religious leaders. They were the pastors of their day, right? They were the leadership teams of their day, the deacons of their day. These guys should have been the good guys with the white hats, and the bad guys should be somebody else. But the reality is, as we continue to read these stories, we find that these Pharisees and these scribes oftentimes wore the black hats. They were oftentimes the villain, oftentimes the bad guy, even though they should have been the good guy. The religious leaders of that day, and they're ticked at Jesus. They're ticked at him. Luke actually tells us in verse 2, chapter 15, that these religious leaders grumbled. And if you got your Bible open, you're looking at it, like circle that. that. These religious leaders grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
In other words, these religious leaders were ticked at Jesus because he was hanging out with people that wouldn't, they wouldn't normally associate with because to associate with those dirty people, those sinful people, to be associating with them would be as to like, oh crap, I might get their sin on me. I'm gonna get infected. I wanna hang out with them. I wanna hang out with clean people. That's, that was their view and they were upset that Jesus was doing this. I also think these guys, these religious leaders, I think they were kind of jealous I think that they kind of had this entitlement mentality where they were like, hey, yo, Jesus, like we've done all these righteous things. We dress the right way. We, we go to church at the right time. We, we observe all the laws. We do all the feasts. We, we sacrifice enough sheep for you. And you should be paying us attention. Why are you paying attention to those dirty people over there? I think that was part of their attitude. So Jesus, Jesus confronts these grumblers. He confronts them by sharing three stories. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. To get his point across, that God rejoices, God rejoices over lost sinners getting found. Like the first story is the story of the lost sheep, verses one through seven. Jesus' answer to the grumbling of the, of the religious elite is basically the story that kind of begs this question. Catch this question. It kind of begs this question, like how far are you willing to go to find one single lost person? Or, or how far do you think God is willing to go to see lost people get found? How far? The key to this first story is realizing that in stark contrast to the grumbling and the whining and the complaining of these religious leaders, God finds immense joy in lost people getting found. Like in verse seven, Jesus says, hey, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Like these religious folks could whine and pout, complain, grumble, all they wanted to. They call themselves more righteous than the people that Jesus hung out with. But the reality is this. That the reality is that they weren't reflecting God's heart of love or joy over lost people getting found. They weren't wa- or, or even walking in true repentance in accordance with the gospel. Like the question I want us to ask ourselves is this. Like, do you rejoice over lost people getting found? Do you rejoice over that? What brings you joy? What captivates your attention? What consumes your heart? Do you find yourself grumbling about other people? Are you frustrated by other people's sin? Do you have a heart of compassion for lost people that actually creates safe space for people who still smell of their sin to be in loving relationship with you? Do you reflect the heart of God over the lost getting found, or do you reflect the heart of a religious hypocrite who grumbles about not having everything just right? You rejoice over the lost getting found. Skip past the second story, go to the third story. We'll come back to the story of the coin. Third story in this story is the story of the lost son, verses 11 through 32. The story of the lost son is commonly called the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus tells us about a dude, <coughs> tells us about a dude who has two sons, right? Most of us are probably familiar with the story. Tell a story about two sons, and one of these boys comes to him, asks for his inheritance so that he can leave his father's house and live however he wants to. He's like, yo, dad, give me the money. 
Give me the money so I can go live however I want to. I want to be free. So the father gives the son his inheritance and he lets him go. The son leaves, blows his entire bank account on cheap drinking, cheap women, cheap partying, which then lands him like broke as a joke, eating pig food in the midst of a hog pen. In the midst of this devastating place of life, this son like realizes that he's living with the pigs and eating pig's food when he could be at home with his father dining at this huge banquet table. So the son does what any logical son would do, gets up out of the hog pen and starts hightailing it back home. And when he gets there, he finds his dad waiting at the end of the driveway with his arms wide open, ready to grab hold of his son. Father, such a great picture of God. It's in the middle of this picture of God being painted. When God, when God like throws his arms around this son, once was lost, but now has been found. Like the father not only does that, but he actually invites his stinking son into his home with him. Gets him some new clothes. There was this banquet party because he's been found. What an awesome story of God's heart for lost people, right? What an awesome story of of God's redeeming heart for you and I when we have gone off the path, right? When we have directly rebelled, thought we would find freedom somewhere else, but really in a sense what we actually found was death and destruction by the simple ways that we live, right? And in the midst of when we wake up and we find our way back home again, God's waiting right there with his arms open for us, right? What a great picture of the Father. There's this other striking picture in that story telling piece of this third story is the older brother. The older brother never, never left his father's side. Always been there. And this brother gets ticked, gets pissed that his dad's doing this, actually refuses to go into the party. Dad has to come out and talk to him. Gets pissed. His father would throw a feast for his irresponsible, sinful, smelly, stinky brother. Key to the story is verse 32. Father comes out, talks to the son, comes out and he says, hey. He says, hey, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We can either be people who grumble and whine and complain because we don't like the smell of sinful people. We don't act as prim and proper as we do. We don't stroke our egos. We don't stroke our preferences. We can whine and complain about that while being completely oblivious and ignorant to our own sinful stench. Or we can have the heart of God the Father who is waiting at the end of the driveway to throw his arms around sinners and welcome them into celebration and gladness. Do you rejoice with celebration and gladness over the lost getting found? It's been said, it's been said that you can measure, you can measure the amount of joy that you believe you would get from something by the amount of time, talent, and treasure that you invest in that thing. Are you like the father who is willing to go to the ends of the driveway for lost people? Are you willing to throw parties for lost people who've been found? Do, do lost people find you to be that safe space where they can run to when their sinful lives go on tilt? To what extent are you investing your time and your talent and your treasure in lost people getting found? Do you rejoice with celebration and gladness over the lost getting found? So back to the, back to the story of the lost coin, right? Second story. This is what I love about the scriptures. 
The scriptures were not meant to be held up and then just in some organizational dead way of reading the scriptures like, oh, there was this lady that had some coins. She lost one. Okay, now we're moving on. We're going to go to the next one. The great thing about the scriptures is the scriptures are much like a jewel. If you hold up a jewel and you hold it up in front of the light and you turn it, the refractions of that light that come out and shine on the wall will be different. Same meaning. It's light and there's a jewel, but there's depth. Scriptures are like the jewel, meant to be mined for all of its worth so that our minds and our hearts and our, our lives would be transformed. Verse 8, we learn that God diligently seeks to find lost people because they are valuable to him. Jesus teaches us about God the Father's commitment to diligently seeking to find lost people by asking a thought-provoking question. Like, think of this question. He says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? The reality of this woman, the reality of this woman is that she would have lived in a small house with a straw-covered floor. Brings new meaning to searching through the straw for a needle, right? A needle in a haystack? Brings new meaning to that. It would have been maybe about the size of this center area of pews, about the size of her house most likely would have had those 10 coins and a purse around her neck, each coin being worth roughly a day's wage. Today, correlating to about a, 100 bucks per coin. About 1,000 bucks hanging around her neck. Anybody ever lost 100 bucks? Anybody got 100 bucks in their pocket? Probably not many of us. <laughs> if you do, I want to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> she had 10 coins, each of those coins being worth a day's wage. And if you lose 100 bucks, man, you're going to look for that, aren't you? Going to look vehemently for that. Jesus' question, this verse is really meant to provoke our thoughts in terms, listen, of the value, the value that we place on a lost person's life and the effort that we are willing to put into diligently seeking the lost so they can be found by God. You think of the effort this woman put in. Think of the value of that coin. That coin got lost, didn't lose its value, did it? Just lost its usefulness for a time, didn't it? Because it was in the corner. As soon as she found it, was able to put it to good use. You and I are not useless. Are you diligently seeking lost people because of their value to God? Are you willing to light a lamp with the gospel? But yet, like, think of it this way. Like, does your life shine like a lamp with the oil of the gospel in your life? Or are you more like the religious folks who grumbled and complained and whined and pined about lost people? Is your heart being affected by the value that God places on lost sinners getting found. Are lost sinners like lying in the corners of our community under the straw of their sinfulness because you're too busy grumbling, complaining, and whining? Are you sweeping every corner of your relational circles to join God in his pursuit of lost people getting found? Are you diligently seeking lost people because of their value to God? Verse 9, we learn that God rejoices when he finds lost people who belong to him. This belonging piece is very important. Jesus teaches us about the joy that fills the Father's heart when lost people get found when he says this. Hear it again. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus' question earlier was meant to like provoke our hearts in terms of value and diligence, then this statement in verse nine, I think, is, is meant to reveal our misunderstanding of what brings joy to the heart of God as well as our misunderstanding of belonging when it comes to our efforts in evangelism. 
Reality is that we often equate momentary happiness that, revote, that, that, that results from us getting what we want. We oftentimes equate joy with momentary happiness, which is the revolt, result of getting what we want. I think this is why the religious community early in this chapter was whining and pouting and grumbling and complaining. This is why they were talking trash about Jesus. I think they were grumbling because they were unhappy about what Jesus was doing because for them, I think it was robbing them of what they thought they deserved or what they thought would bring them happiness. They thought they would have been much happier if Jesus wasn't inviting those dirty people into community with them. The issue with this, obviously, is that their unhappiness, in their unhappiness, they were completely oblivious to the heart of God and the joy that they could have tapped into by joining Jesus in his redemptive mission to find lost people. And I think the other misunderstanding about this in this text is that I think verse 9 is meant to reveal our misunderstanding of this sense of belonging in terms of evangelism. Notice that Jesus says the woman calls her friends together, like picks up the telephone, right, if there was a telephone, gets on Facebook, hey, yo, I found my lost coin. Look what she says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Who owned the coin? Who owned the coin? She did. Thank you. She owned the coin. It was in the bag around her neck. She owned that coin. Language of the statement is language of ownership. It reminds me that God knows who are his. God knows who belongs to him. God isn't out like running around aimlessly, like looking for whoever might return to him from being lost. God is not hoping that if the dice just get rolled just right through someone's perfect proclamation of the gospel or some perfect organization execution of some crazy outreach event that maybe some lost person will get found. Like the common picture that we have of evangelism is that someone's salvation actually rests on my ability to perform well and communicate in a way that is attractive. Communication methods are important. Doing events well is very important. The reality is that we are all broken pots, sinful people, who are winding up making more mistakes in our lives than we do getting things right. We struggle to trust in the sovereignty of God in, in, in evangelism. This is the problem with the religious community in this passage because uh, I, think, I think that they were in the shackles of their sin and their grumbling and their whining and their complaining. They had this view of evangelism or mission or God's redemption that was not biblical. I think their view of evangelism rested more on their ability and power to assemble a spit shine and clean and up to snuff model of righteous living that was built on their ability to perform instead of being built upon the truth that only God can sustain what he owns. This misunderstanding, I think, caused that religious community to gripe and complain and moan about Jesus' behavior and the sinners that he hung out with while ostracizing the very people that Jesus came to rescue through his work at the cross. Stark contrast to that, we see this picture of God. He rejoices when he finds the lost people who belong to him. In verse 10, we learn that God is filled with joy when lost people get found and repent. Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy for the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I almost wish I could have been a fly on the tent wall when Jesus said this, right? It's like a mic drop moment. 
the mic in his hand. He's like, I'm out, right? He's like, yo, you guys want to push back at me about the way that I'm reaching lost people? Fine, let me tell you a couple of stories that should set you back on your butts really fast. And let me make this one final statement, which, by the way, he makes it like three times about God's joy, lost people getting found, people who would come back and repent. Like he uses the word repent almost like three times in these three different stories. Walks away. Wish I could have been there. And you realize that what Jesus says here doesn't just apply to his defense of his behavior in terms of hanging out with the sinners that the religious community had no stomach for. What Jesus says here applies equally to the complaining crowd right in front of him. The reality is that Jesus came to both the irreligious and the religious. Jesus came to the 99 sheep who think they're okay, as well as the one sheep who is completely oblivious and has no clue that he needs to repent. Jesus came to save both the lost son who had wandered away as well as the lost son who never strayed. Jesus came to save people who complain and grumble about other people as well as he came to save people who get grumbled and complained about. This is the picture of Jesus. It's such a fantastic picture of our Father in heaven. The issue here is our understanding, I think, of repentance. The religious community that was grumbling about Jesus had their sense of repentance wrapped up in appearance, sin management, and behavior modification. That's what they were wrapped up in. They were like, I can modify my behavior, I can manage my sin, and I can give off the appearance that I'm spit, shine, and clean. That was the type of community they had built. And so then it ostracized people who needed help. They thought that repentance was a destination of personal achievement and arrival instead of a process of sanctification by the power of the Spirit through continual gospel application in the presence of Jesus. Repentance is all about this daily process of walking with Jesus that produces continued growth in holiness and change in our thoughts, our desires, and the activity of our lives. I'm convinced that if we, listen, if we are walking with Jesus in daily repentance, then we will become more and more like our Father in heaven who is filled with joy when lost people get found and repent. Do you see the picture of God's heart for lost people getting found? Do you understand the value that God has placed on you? Do you see his great love for you? And you see God the Father beaming down with joy over finding you and leading you to repentance. Do you understand that you are his prized possession is your thinking and your desires and your lifestyle in these moments even just being challenged and even changed to become like God as a reflection of his love his commitment and his investment in diligently seeing the lost get found God loves seeing the lost get found question is do you let me pray father thank you for our time in the scriptures this evening as our music team comes forward now to lead us in closing lord i pray that you would bless this closing time together i lift up 
people in our midst here. Lift up hearts and minds and lives. And I pray, God, that you would um, just meet us here uh, in, over the next few moments as we close. But I know that there are people in this room who feel useless, who feel worthless, who feel as though they've been lost for a long time. And I pray, God, that this moment would be a moment where you would save some radically, that you would convert them and change their lives. Watch you do it powerfully in this church family already over the course of the last three years, shared in the stories of baptizing nearly 30-some people over the last year. What, what, a, what, a tremendous, what a tremendous picture of you saving people. So I'm just thankful to you, God, and your work there. Pray, God, that you would continue that work tonight. And I pray, God, that over the next few moments, that people's hearts would just be moved to follow you, to love you, to join you on mission to seeking to save that which is lost. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to participate in communion over the next few moments. Here's what I want. I want to actually just kind of encourage you guys to stay seated tonight. A little bit different as they lead us in this final song. I want you to think about the message you just heard. I want you to think about these stories. We'll have a few people near the front to pray with you if you have needs. I imagine there's many of you in this room that have needs. Sometimes I wonder, like, sometimes I'm a little discouraged that we don't, people don't come forward for more prayer. So I'm just letting you know. I think there's many of you that have needs. There'll be two of us here to pray with you. There always is. I think we should be a praying church who's not afraid to do that. I don't think we should be in such a hurry to rush out that back door. I think we need to spend time praying for each other. I think you need to spend some time in, in your pews, in your seats, thinking about your heart, your life. And where are you at? Like this communion table is a real powerful thing. It's a rehearsing of the gospel. It's a rehearsing of the belief that we have that Jesus came and died brutally. His body was broken brutally. It was murdered. It was horrifying. It was disgusting. His blood was poured out, laid in, an empty tomb, laid in the tomb, then it was empty the next three days, right? If you're here and you believe that, that's a good time for a heart check. And scriptures are really clear. Like, we should not engage in communion if our hearts are in a bad place. Like, we need to be applying the blood and the body of Jesus to our hearts right now. Be made right. So examine yourselves. Examine your hearts before you engage, before you participate. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Some of you that are here, like you weren't a believer when you walked in the door. And if you're still not a believer and you're like, man, I'm not joining up, I'm not, not following Jesus, then please do not participate in communion. Just stay right where you're at. It's okay. We love you. We're glad you're here. Keep coming, okay? Ain't got to be a member of this church. Might have walked in here tonight not believing. In these moments, you might have said, man, I caught a picture of Jesus and the church that was powerful. I see my sin, I see my need for Christ, I see his broken body at the cross, I see the power of the empty tomb that we just celebrated, I believe, help me in my unbelief, change my life, Jesus, that's what you're saying in your heart, great, you ain't gotta come up here and pray like some crazy funky sinner's prayer, although we'd like to pray with you anyways, okay, but if that's you, you began to believe in these moments and you are more than welcome to come forward, this is between you and the Lord, so there'll be two people to serve the communion elements, there'll be two people up here to pray for you, just take a few moments and examine yourselves over the first few verses of this song, come as the Holy Spirit leads you to take those elements. Thanks for letting me preach. I really do love you guys a lot. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.